The Apostle Paul wraps up his powerful and beautiful epistle to the first century congregation of the Lord's Church in Ephesus with these words in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, where he writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Once you take a look at that text, and you'll find as you look there that the words stand and or withstand occur a total of four times over four verses. That word is very important. In addition, we see it elsewhere. The Apostle Paul would write to the first century Christians in the congregation at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He'd say, watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong. To the Christians at Thessalonica, he wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. He wrote to the Christians in first century Philippi in Philippians 1.27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, striving together with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Throughout these epistles to the first century congregations of the Lord's Church, the Apostle Paul continually tells them to stand, stand fast, stand firm, stand fast in the faith, stand fast in one mind. What does he mean by that? He means that you stand together on the truth of the gospel. In fact, as he wrote to the Thessalonians, that very thing, stand fast and hold the traditions of the Apostle's word or their epistle. Now in that passage in Philippians 1.27 where he says stand fast in one spirit with one mind, he says don't be frightened by your adversaries. Don't be frightened by those who don't want to hear the truth. Don't be frightened by those who are enemies of the truth, who don't want to accept the truth. Because he said if you stand fast in one spirit, that is proof of their perdition. Perdition is not a word we use a lot today. What does the word perdition mean? He says it is proof of their perdition when you stand fast together. The Greek word perdition is used in that passage means ruin, means perishing. 
the destruction which consists of eternal, eternal misery in hell. How does that fit together? Here's how it fits. When you have a crowd of people that do not want to accept the truth, and you stand on that truth, and you stand united together on that truth, that proves to them when they can't stand against that truth, and they can't, that is proof to them that they are headed in the wrong eternal direction. That's how it works. Brethren, we've got to understand this. This is how it works. When we stand fast, when we stand and we don't cave in under pressure, when we stand fast in one mind together, when we are faced with opposition or a hostile crowd, when we stand fast on the truth of the Word of God and we're not frightened and we're not influenced in any way by those who refuse to accept and acknowledge that truth. You know what? They may not agree with our conclusions, but they will see and respect our convictions. Don't ever forget that. They may never come to the point where they agree with our conclusions, but they will respect that we have convictions. I want you to take a look at this and how that worked with the Apostle Peter. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 4. We'll see that very thing. They may never agree with your conclusions, but they will see and respect your convictions. Even if they don't like them. In Acts chapter 4, verse 5, it came to pass on the next day that their rulers... They're rulers. They're not just normal, common people. They're rulers. Those with authority. They're rulers. The elders, the scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? All the power brokers, all the authority, their family, everybody's gathered. And, and they plunk these apostles right down in their midst. You can almost feel the intimidation factor. You can almost sense the fear that ought to be be there is they're right in the midst of all of these high-powered people. But then Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow! Look at who was surrounding him and the power they had. And notice again, the scriptures says, set them in their midst. They're like the hub in the middle of this wheel. And these people are all around them. And Peter stood up. And look at the response. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter, I mean, if you're the high priest, you're going like, Really? 
when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They were astonished. Couldn't believe these men had the boldness and the courage to do what they had done. And again, folks, that crowd of hostiles may never have agreed, never come to the point that they agreed with the conclusions of Peter and the apostles, but I tell you what, they come to understand the strength of the conviction and to respect the strength of the conviction that these men had. They, were, um, they marveled and they realized they'd been with Jesus. <coughs> Folks, somebody who's been with Jesus has the boldness to stand up for Jesus Christ. Like he allowed himself to be nailed up to a cross for them. You see, Peter here had two options in this text we just read. Here's his two options. He only had two. Number one, he could stand up. Stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ right in the middle of a hostile and intimidating crowd. Or, option number two, he could fold up. He could fold up in fear of them and let down the Lord who died for him. You see, Peter here chose to stand up instead of to fold up. And even though the hostilities continued as you read on through this, and even though none of those hostiles are recorded as being converted, just like those in Ezekiel's day who knew there had been a prophet among them in Ezekiel 2 and 3, even though they didn't agree with Ezekiel, just like that, these people were going to understand that there was a disciple of Jesus Christ who had been with Jesus, who had been amongst them. They were going to understand that. If they didn't understand anything else, they were going to get that. And indeed they did, for they realized they had been with Jesus. You see, Peter was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. So he chose to stand up instead of to fold up. But you know, Peter hadn't always been that way, had he? As we know, that had not always been the way with Peter. Peter had previously, at other times, folded up. When he should have manned up and stood up for Jesus. You'll recall there was an instance in Matthew chapter 26 verses 30 through 35 where Peter insisted the night that Jesus was leading them up to Gethsemane where Peter insisted that he would stand up for Jesus. Lord, even if all of them deny you, I never will. It doesn't matter, boy, if they all refuse to stand. If they all fold up, I'm going to stand up. Peter said, I'm going to, Lord. I'm going to stand up. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. Remember Peter saying that? I'm going to stand up for you, Lord. You know, it's real easy to say that we're going to stand up for Jesus when we're surrounded by like-minded people. It's real easy to be here in this building. It's real easy for Peter amongst that particular group of disciples, apostles. Real easy for Peter to say, Oh Lord, I'm going to stand up for you even if all of them deny you. I'm going to stand up for you. It's pretty easy to do. We're, you know, 
I mean, you tell, you be here in church tonight and you tell somebody, I'm going to stand up for Jesus this week. Well, how tough is that to say, sitting here surrounded by people who ought to be doing the same thing? You're not going to get any hostility back then, are you? Nobody's going to say, what a dumb thing to do. Nobody here is going to say that. They're all going to agree. That's real simple. That's real easy to do. Doesn't take a whole lot. But, when you are surrounded by a hostile crowd, a crowd that hates and rejects the truth, then it gets a whole lot harder not to fold up like an old accordion before allowing yourself to be recognized as a true follower of Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. After Peter made that statement of how he'd stand up for Jesus, if I may paraphrase, in Matthew 26, 30 through 35, right in that same chapter, look what we read in verses 57 through 59. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. I'm sorry, 57 and 8, okay? He went in to see the end. Now look way up in verse 69 of this same chapter. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Now you see right here, Peter's got two options. His two options are the same. Stand up. Stand up for the truth of Jesus in the midst of this hostile or, and intimidating crowd. Or, number two, he can fold up. He can fold up in fear of them and let down the Lord who died for him. Verse 70, Peter folded, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. When he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him. And she said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. It's like, will you leave me alone? I don't even know who he is. And a little later, verse 73, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for your speech betrays you. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man. See, Peter here folded up like an old accordion. He folded up instead of standing up for Jesus. And you know what that brings? And, and this, is, this is something maybe we don't think about that often, but every time that you fold up instead of standing up for Jesus, that always brings something. That always brings nothing but soul-wrenching misery for the one who is truly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with the fact down inside that you let Jesus down. You see, when you fold up instead of standing up, it may, for a moment, you know, escape a little bit of maybe controversy or that sort of thing. But when you fold up instead of standing up, 
sooner or later you're going to have to deal with the fact that you let the Lord down. Because that's exactly what you did. Look at the next rest of verse 74. Well, let's start again at the beginning of 74. He began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Look what Peter did. Look what he did. He went out and he wept bitterly. Did Peter weep bitterly in the garden that night? Do we have a record in the garden of Peter weeping bitterly? No. This is what caused him to weep bitterly. See, Peter had to come to grips with the fact that instead of standing up for his Lord, he had folded up and denied him. And that just breaks the heart of a disciple who is in love with Jesus. Folding up and shutting up. Instead of standing up and holding up the Lord Jesus Christ when you are surrounded by a hostile crowd is not only bitterly heartbreaking and painful if you truly love the Lord, it also produces a very predictable outcome. Let me say that again. Not the whole thing, just that last part. If you fold up instead of standing up for Jesus in a hostile crowd, not only does it break your heart eventually and you have to deal with that, but it also produces a very predictable outcome. The proof is in the pudding. Do you guys say that down here? Okay, just checking to make sure we didn't have a language barrier. If you fold up instead of stand up in a hostile crowd like the Apostle Peter did, you know what happens? You know what the predictable outcome is? You know what it is? The pagans come out on top. The pagans win. When you fold up and shut up instead of standing up for Jesus Christ, the pagans come out on top. They win. They win. And as the winners, as it were, watch this, they get to dictate what happens to you next. Think about this. When you fold up instead of stand up in a hostile crowd like Peter did, the pagans come out on top. They get to dictate what happens to you next. They get to fire up your fear, silence your message, return you to obscurity and make you a non-factor. Did you catch that? That's exactly what happened with Peter and the rest of the apostles in John chapter 20 and verse 19. You'll recall in John 20 and verse 19 that the apostles are all behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. Look where they wound up as a result of folding up and living in fear. They wind up hiding behind closed doors. That's what happens when you fold up. Contrast the outcome of folding up with what they experienced completely opposite when they stood up for Jesus in the midst of a murderously hostile crowd of pagans. 
soon thereafter. You know what happened when they stood up for Jesus instead of folding up and, and then living in fear behind locked doors, behind closed doors? You know what happened when they stood up for Jesus? I'll tell you what happened. Joy. Rejoicing. Church growth exploded. Which place would you rather be? If you don't think about it, or you haven't thought about it, read Acts 4 and 5. Joy, rejoicing, church growth exploding, and God blessing them and answering their prayers to speak even more boldly. Acts 4 and 5. When they stood up for Jesus, there was nothing but joy in church growth. As opposed to when they folded up and huddled like rats on a sinking ship behind closed doors in John 20 and verse 19. Look with me in Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, look at how the Apostle Paul both stood up and spoke up for the truth in his defense before King Agrippa. Acts chapter 26, verses 2 through 6. Acts 26, 2 through 6. Paul said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. What's he going to do? He's going to speak up. He's going to stand up, but he ain't going to fold up. Especially, verse 3, because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now, watch this, I stand. I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Paul says, I'll stand up for that. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to speak up. The reason that I'm going to stand up is for, because I believe in God. I believe in the hope and the promises that he has made. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to speak up. And I'll tell you why. The Apostle Paul also went on to write in several places of how we must stand up and speak up instead of folding up. He said we must also stand. Use that word. We must also stand when it comes to the gospel which saves us. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. The grace which sanctifies us. Romans 5, 1 and 2 and every other iota of God's holy truth because those who continually fold up and seek to silence or distort the truth instead of standing up and speaking up and standing on and in that truth they don't really understand who their allegiance is to John 8, verses 31 through 47. Let me illustrate it this way. As we talk tonight about the difference between folding up or standing up for Jesus, I couldn't think of a better illustration. Yes, Granville, I have your ladder. Good old metal step ladder. It's folded up. I'm looking for a male volunteer to come up here and climb to the top of this when I let go of it. Gentlemen, 
Nobody? Really? You don't? I'll let go and you can just come and climb to the top of it. Anybody? Matt? You good? Just checking. Jake? Okay. Why? Because this ladder's folded up. Now, if I take the duct tape off of here that I put on it to hold it together, and I stand it up, it's still a little rickety. Some of you may say I'm still not so sure, but work with me here. It's an old stepladder. If I unfold it, and if it stands up on its own, then it's useful, right? Then if it's standing up, you can use it to change light bulbs. You can use it to reach things you couldn't reach before because it's standing up. Right now, folding up, you know all this is good for being folded up is to be put back in a dark closet where it belongs. Obscure. In the darkness. Out of the way. It's useless. Folded up. Only when it's standing up. And I think of us as Christians, you know, when we stand up for Jesus instead of folding up and shutting up. When we stand up for Jesus, then we can change the light in the room too. We can be a light, we can be a beacon. When we choose to stand up for Jesus, we can reach new heights, literally as well as figuratively. But folding up, and I considered just dropping this and letting it go, but I won't do that because I know even if I told you ahead of time, some of you would jump when it lands, so I won't do that. But folded up, this thing is useless. Jesus did not buy us to stay folded up so that we could be hid away in some dark closet. Did he say we're the light of the world? Did he say that? What do you do with the light? You put it up. You don't hide the light under a bushel. You put it up where it can give light to the whole room. Folks, if we're not standing up for Jesus, we're not holding the light up. And if we're not standing up for Jesus in the middle of a hostile crowd, when we have the opportunity to stand up for the truth, we really need to think about what we're doing as Christians. Do we stand? Or do we fold? That is the question. And it's also the answer. Let us always strive to be a people who stand up instead of fold up. When surrounded by a hostile crowd, a crowd hostile to our Lord, hostile to His Word, hostile to His church. And may they... Therefore, never be allowed to silence our message, to send us scurrying into obscurity, or to dictate what we do or do not do when it comes to letting them know who we are and whose we are. Tonight, the invitation is yours. If you need... Prayers for more strength to stand up for Jesus. If you need the duct tape cut off. If you, need to, if you need to be set free and you need the strength to truly stand up for Jesus. We'd love to pray for you. If you're not already a member of the church especially. And you really don't have much right to try to stand up for Jesus. If you're not in Christ and you're not in his arsenal already. But... If you're not in Christ, we can baptize you into Christ. And I'll hold that truth up. Tonight, if there's any way that you would respond...
to be a child of God or a child of God who's better at standing up than you have been in the past. If there's any way we can help you tonight, please come to the front. Watch the words of the song we're going to sing. May it encourage you as well as our voices to come forward if you need to.